Welcome, everybody, to the Unscripted Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Daniel. I'm here with my brother, Doug. Yo. And I'm here with the best damn tag team in the world, Quentin and Eric. How are you? So, Quentin was like, I don't know if I want to team with Eric. <laughs> <laughs> That's the feeling I got from that response. Oh, thanks, man. What? Oh. The Unscripted Wrestling Podcast is version of Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. Yeah. The world's greatest hey, tag team. I'll take that. That makes me Kurt Angle and... Uh, oh, my <laughs> God. You're that no makes joke. me Heyman, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, you're Paul Heyman. Well, who are you going to call I was gonna share a, I was going to say Orlando Jordan, but I forget. That's uh, JBL in the Bashams, right? Yeah. A different SmackDown faction. We're here to talk about Fully Loaded 1998 for our 40th pay-per-view retrospective of all time. We've done 40 of these things. We've done 40 of these some bitches, and now we're here to talk about Fully Loaded yeah. 98, which is surprisingly, I thought it was a fucking awesome card. I'm excited to talk about it. it, it it's one of those cards because, like, they were they were still using the in your house uh, mm-hmm. moniker, right? Yeah. Even though, like. You know, they had gotten away from the in your house. And, because uh, it used to be called, like, back in 97, 96 and 97, they would always say, in your house, and then give the name of the pay-per-view. But, like, here in 98, it was, like, it was unforgiven in your house, or fully loaded in your house, or rock bottom in your this house. This is just- so like no, we got rid of it by now. It was just fully loaded. It was no in your house whatsoever. No, it was. It, it, no, it's still being listed as in your house, Clint. It, it, at least it is on Wikipedia. Yeah, it is. I'm just saying. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, but like, but the point is, is that like it wasn't necessarily part of that traditional in your house anymore. Like there was no logo. It was basically like they had like their own like logos for the pay-per-view. Yeah. So, but it's, this is one of those shows that, you know, you always take your big, your big five, right? Which was Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, King of the Ring, uh, uh, SummerSlam and Survivor Series. It's a big four. Yeah, I guess King of the Rings in it. Well, because King of the Ring got added, you know, in '93, so they call it like a big five. But you, you know, you have your big four. This technically could have been considered like a throwaway pay per view. Well, yeah, this and Over the Edge and you yeah. know Backlash and shit like that. But it's also like some of the best matches come from these shows. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes the big four has some overrated shit and a little rinky dink one that might. It's just a monthly pay per view can fucking bang, you know? And I think this is one that definitely bangs with, uh, especially with some of the talent that's on here. And, and like some performances that people you might not think be able to bring them. But 300,000 was the buy rate. Right. Uh, they, th- they were they were killing it at the time. They were. There was only uh, 9,800 in uh, attendance at the Selland Arena, but that's not a huge arena. Well, in yeah, it's in uh, Fresno, but Fresno was also a big... Uh a big town, you know, when they do their, when they do the California tour, which usually lasts like a, a few weeks, 
you know, because California's got a lot of cities in there. Uh, like, they, they usually make sure to hit all the major cities, because California has always been a WWF town. Now, Clintus, what do you think of the fully loaded name, and do you think that it should have, like, stayed around with, like, the fucking backlashes and Armageddons and fucking bad bloods and shit like that? Um, for me, it's just, like, I look at it it's just like that. Any other normal name. I mean, you want to get what you get until someone comes up with, I guess, with something better. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It's still no, around for three years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, though. It got dropped out. A lot of the other ones stayed. Right. Well, because they also impl- cause then they came up with the vengeance name. Uh, I mean, fully loaded. Like, if you look at the three years that they did it, uh, all three years were actually pretty decent cards. Yeah. Like, and it's not like it's, it, but it's not as bad as like a Great Balls of Fire or Capital Punishment. Or oh something. God, no, those suck. But I mean, well, I, the names suck. Yeah. Well, those pay per views suck too. Yeah. But uh, fully loaded. It's not like the the best name of all time. But I mean, I can see why they got rid of it. But I, you know. Yeah. Because, but what's funny about it too is that like. Like I said, they did it for three years, and or like Clint said, they did it for three years, but they still had really good matches. Like fully loaded '99, you had the double main event of Rock and Triple H, and then Austin Undertaker. Yeah. Plus, you know, other matches in between, like Big Show, Kane, uh, fucking, you know, Severin or not Severin, Blackman and Shamrock in the fucking parking lot. Yeah. In the Iron Circle, which was the only time they had ever done that match because they realized how fucking dangerous it was. Or actually, no, they called, they renamed it something else after they did it. It was a parking lot brawl. It was a parking lot brawl. Yeah, they did it again with John Cena and Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, yeah and then AEW actually did it with uh, Santana and Ortiz and Best Friends. Exactly. No, I uh, I really enjoyed this one, and this is a and you talk about it being a throwaway card a little bit, or they, they might view it as that because the WWE title's not even up for grabs tonight. No, Austin's going for the tag title. Yeah, oh. the main event. Uh, let's get into it. Our first match. Now, did they do any dark matches beforehand? No, there was no dark matches on this card. We started with uh, Val Venus versus Jeff Jarrett with Tennessee Lee and uh, Southern Justice. Okay. This was, I think, if not the last appearance of Tennessee Lee, I think this was like the second to last appearance. Yeah. Tennessee Lee, Colonel Parker in WCW, was just as useless here as Tennessee Lee as he was as Colonel Parker in WCW. By the way, I hate the character. He's basically, he's a Colonel Sanders fucking ripoff. Yeah. Uh, like he and putting him with Harlem Heat was the stupidest fucking idea of all. Yeah. Uh, well, the original. Well, we we can't even really talk about the original idea that they had with with him and Harlem Heat. Well, what went to screen was kind of bad anyway. But. Yeah. But the original, I the original. Well, actually, no. Like I said, I can't say it because. We'll get in a major trouble. 
What was the idea? You can say the idea without saying our take on it. Uh, the original idea was he was going to bring them out in chains and shackles. Yeah. Like, they were his... Uh, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. That's fucking... I'm glad they didn't do that. It, and it, only Anderson idea, by the way. Yeah, who would have thought? But, uh... Yeah, WCW's fucking dumb sometimes. But uh, this match, considering you have a failed country musician versus a porn star, this is actually a pretty damn good match for the opener. These guys both are good at wrestling, and you can tell by watching it. What did you think, Eric? I thought it was a solid opener. Val um, uh, Venus is better than people think he is. He, he actually is pretty good in ring. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Garrett, we all know, is talented as hell. Um, Personality-wise, it's a different story, but he, he is talented. He is one of the most talented underrated wrestlers I've seen, especially in the early, late 90s. And if if you, like, go, like, further on and watch, like, a lot of their stuff they did together... They actually had decent chemistry in the ring. Yeah, they could go together. And they were both good wrestlers alone. Like, that's the thing. Val gets put because he was a porn star gimmick. They forget, like, he was actually a really good in-ring worker. Right. But, you know, the gimmick of Val Venus can only go so far. Yeah. And Morley on his own just wasn't that interesting. So, that was kind of what held him back. He was a great in-ring worker. And Jeff Jarrett, you know, he's always been good and he always will be. Yeah. He's a good in-ring worker. He, no matter what you want to say about Jeff, you can't say that when the bell rings, he doesn't fucking go ham. Right. I mean, look at exactly. all the guys that Jeff actually made look good that had no business looking good. All right. And the first person that comes to mind, God bless him, he better end up in the NFL Hall of Fame, uh, you know, next year because he is on the ballot right now. And I'm talking about Mongo McMichael. All right. Mongo had no business really being good at all, but Jeff Jarrett was one of the guys that could make him have at least a halfway decent match. Definitely. Yeah. So, like, Jeff Jarrett doesn't... I, Jeff Jarrett gets the credit for a lot of bad things in wrestling. But I, I really don't feel like, uh, you know, I, I really don't feel like he gets the credit for the good things that he's done. Yeah. Because. A lot of bad Yeah. I mean, yes, you know, I know he gets a lot of flack for a lot of things, but let's face it, you know, he say, he you know, he basically, he's serving Kurt Angle's prison sentence right now. All right. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like, it, that's a good guy. If you're taking another guy's prison sentence, uh, or at least taking a, or at least taking away a reason for a guy to off himself, then, you know, good for that In my book, that makes you a good human being. It also makes you the most powerful human being on the planet that has to put up with that. Yeah. Why the hell he keeps getting her a job? I have no fucking clue. She was pretty hot for a while. She was, 
but then she talked. What did we think of the match, Cliff? I thought it was a good match, and we can't like take away from the whole um, Yamiguchi son being on commentary oh, too. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> can't take away Yamiguchi son. Dude, he didn't sound Japanese. That guy's awesome. That was my old. He always sounded very Japanese, but for some reason on the call, he did not sound Japanese to me whatsoever. I yeah, I. There was a couple times, but it, like it, it made me laugh when King kept talking about his wife and stuff. He's like, "Focus on the match." Yeah. And Jared's like, "Focus on the match." It, it was just, it, it was funny, but uh. I would give this match probably seven out of ten. I'd agree I with thought you. it was a very decent opener. I agree with you. I agree with that. Definitely seven uh, out of ten. I'll give it a six. All right. Breaking the mold. All right. D'Lo Brown and X-Pac. Now, this was a non-title matchup, even though D'Lo was European champion, but then when D'Lo won the match, he said it was for the title. <laughs> like, if you hear him shouting to the camera, it was a title match! It was a title match! He's like, I'm coming home with the belt! It's like, you were coming home with the belt anyway, you fucking asshole. Yeah, you were putting the title on. Like, they did an interview, because they still did the free-for-all at that point. Yeah. Even though they never, they didn't have any matches on the free-for-all anymore. But, uh, they did the free-for-all. They did, like, the interviews and all that. And X-Pac was going to, uh, you know, they knew X-Pac was going to wrestle D-Lo. And X-Pac said D-Lo put the belt up. And d was like, no, you don't deserve it. Technically, D-Lo didn't deserve the title either. He beat, he beat Triple H for it, like, the week before, thanks to The Rock. Because the Rock-Triple H match was supposed to be title for title. Yeah, but then they switched it yeah. to like you know what Hunter doesn't need the year, which he didn't need the fucking European title to begin with. Yeah, so they took the title off him. They put it on D'Lo because they figured they could actually do stuff with you know D'Lo could do stuff with it. Yeah, which he did. Uh, the whole way though that D'Lo won the European title, like that whole thing, referee Jimmy Corderas did not see. Uh, Rock hit Triple H with the Rock Box because he was distracted. Him and China were distracted by Mark Henry. Uh, and China, who never gets distracted, and she's always the one interfering. It's like she got outsmarted. Uh, she got outsmarted by Mark Henry. So, you know, it is what it is. Later on in the night on that episode of Raw, X-Pac was taken on the Rock. Triple H said, you're not leaving tonight with the Intercontinental title. So he pedigreed rock while the referee was out. Jimmy Corderas, who blew the call in the European title match, came out as the referee was getting ready to count three, stopped the referee from counting three, and said, no, 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 Triple H, you know, Triple H pedigreed him. You got to disqualify Xbox. And it's just like, you stupid motherfucker. So you're not going to let this referee make the same mistake you made. Because you don't know how to fucking pay attention because you got, uh, oh, 
you got distracted uh, with uh, Mark Henry in China. Uh, and so then, like, you know, China did what she does best, and she hit the guy in the balls, and that was it. Yeah. And, I, and referee Jimmy Corderas had nothing to do with any of the DX versus Nation matches that night, by the way. But it was just like, it was so stupid, because, it, it, well, to me, it was stupid, because it's just like the referee that, uh, you know, the referee that fucked up the call basically in the first match, basically stopped. Like he he ignored everything so the heel can win the t- so the heel could win the title. Sure. But you know he stopped everything when the babyface was getting ready to win the title. Yeah, what a dick. Yeah. Clemens, what did you think of D'Lo Brown and X Pac? I enjoyed it. I mean, tell you the truth, I I was a big fan of the whole Mason versus DX rivalry. Me too. So, so watching um the, the um <laughs> watching the whole thing go go about just it's totally awesome. I mean, nation all the way. I can tell you the truth. And, and the funny <laughs> thing is, uh, like with this match, X Pac and Gilo always I think had really good chemistry and. Like, this match here was actually, I think, one of the better wrestling matches on the card, even though they did have some good wrestling. Uh, Because I'm a big fan of both guys' ring work. And the the, the Nation DX rivalry, it was captivating television because it was almost like a, you know, they did the whole gang war storyline the year before with the Bariquas, the Nation, and the DOA. This technically was almost like a gang war. That's true. Yeah. And that's what made it so good, though, because you had your baby faces and your heels, and you rooted for DX, and Rock was being so despicable with fucking locking him in a room and then fucking forcing himself on China and beating the shit out of DX all the time. And even, like, this whole pay-per-view... It really built, if you watch this whole thing, front to back, all the nation matches, Rock and Triple H, and then you go on and you watch the ladder match at SummerSlam, Yeah, it's a perfect fucking story told. It's a great rivalry, and it's a great story, and everything, and Rock, and fucking her hitting Rock in the balls as he's going for the title, and fucking Triple H grabs it with the powder in his face, and the good guy wins and shit. It's a great story, and this all builds to that. And that two out of three falls match, and we'll get to it, but that's a fucking perfect match. It, it, even though there's kind of a fuck finish, but it's still fucking, it's done really well to build to this big thing that happens right. when DX finally kind of wins. And the whole, like the brawl, I think it was on Raw, or maybe it was a pay-per-view. The street fight, right? Yeah. Where was yeah, that, that was a Raw. That was one of my favorite moments growing up is just watching fucking Road Dog in the jean shorts and shit, and they're all fucking dressed up, just ready for war. The nation comes out, same thing, dude, and they just fucking go at it and beat the shit out of each yeah, other. Like, that, was, like, that was a gang war. You're yeah. right. But then because, like, you know, uh, Triple H, you know, or because, like, Jeff Jarrett and Southern Justice got involved and took out the Outlaws and Xbox, and Triple H was, you know, against every the rest of the nation by himself. Yeah. But, like, yeah, it, it was a gang war, and, but you had two gangs who, they had decent workers on each side. 
Yeah, and you had your clear baby faces and your clear heels, and I'll throw it to Clinic because you're the only one that should actually comment on this besides us. But Boy, what? Okay. does the DX does DX on Raw dressing up in blackface, making fun of the nation age well for you? Like as a fan, do you still look at that and enjoy it or are you like, dude, like this is fucking kinda cringy? <laughs> Alright, let's hold this one. When I was younger, I, I, I tell you the truth, I didn't really care for it. I thought it, I was a DX fan, so I thought it was funny. Now, right. I didn't look at it not because of the, the race, and I look at, like, a bunch of white guys dressing up, trying to be black and insulting, and I did not. And tell you the truth, I still, because I just know it's, it's, it's scripted, it's really so I know behind the scenes what it's all about. It's entertainment. It's all this other stuff. But seriously about it, seriously though, I do see where people get insulted from, and I respect their opinion. Now, me technically, because I know everything, the ins and outs, and how it's all scripted. Of course, I mean, I, you have to think to yourself. It's like they had to get permission. I'm, it's You're not right. like I know. It's like. I, I know, even though it's back in the '90s and everything was so loose and um, unedited back then, it still had to be like a pecking order. It's like, okay, you're going to do the thing, but it's going to be backlash, and and, and the backlash certainly came. But yeah. at the same time, like for the younger generation, especially for me, I enjoyed it because I looked at it as DS is my team. <laughs> Yeah, I I, lo- I thought it was funny. I I thought it was funny because I'm a DS person. See, if you're a DS person and you would like DS, you're not going to look at it. But if you're a follower of the nation, of course you're going to take it as an insult. So it's like you look at it as, well, who was you rooting for at the time? Are you team DX? Are you team or nation? And then you break it down to there. Now when you get to adults and you see it outside looking in, but in the inside, you're like, who are you rooting for? Who do you want to see this win this final war, this real big out skew? I think that's where there's a lot of borderlines that look Yeah. Right. And that's a very good point. And you're you're right. And, and that's kind of that's kind of how I view it too. Because like as a kid and shit, I like I'd like, oh, the, the DX is making fun of the nation. This is funny. You know, I'm not thinking about it like that. I, no one is. But, like, if it happened today, like, if fucking, like, the Dirty Dogs fucking, if Bobby Roode and Ziggler are baby faces and they're feuding with the New Day and they come out, like, it's never, you can never do it again, you know what I mean? And, like, if you're not a fan of wrestling, maybe, and you don't really know what it's about and you sit down and you watch it, I can see why someone would be like, dude, what the fuck? But, like, and in context with wrestling and shit, I totally understand what Clint is Say. Right. And, and here's here's a funny thing, too. The night that that aired, uh, you know, I saw it, uh, you know, because that was also around the time where, you know, I really still technically wasn't allowed to watch it, but I'd be downstairs looking through the channels or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd see it. And I saw that, right? Later that night, there was an episode of All in the Family on where Archie did blackface. Yeah. Okay. It was when his grandson was born. That's a lot more controversial, though. And Archie was a fucking, like, old, like... Right. So, he does the blackface, right? So, like, I see what the nation does, and I see 
you know, what that does. And I remember somebody uh, complaining about, uh, like, I was talking to kids or something like that, and they're like, oh, DX did this thing, you know, that, you know, they're, they're probably going to get in a lot of trouble for it. I said, why? Archie Bunker did the same thing on All in the Family. Yeah. And then Dad explained to me, he's just like, uh, it wasn't right when Archie Bunker did it then. It wasn't right when Archie Bunker did it then. It's not right that these guys are doing it now. I said, well, what the hell? Because I had no idea what the hell they were even doing. Yeah. Well, I, I did not know what that. And you're a little ass kid, too. You didn't go to school yet. You don't know the fucking Well, no, I mean, I was, I was in middle school. Okay. But I still, like, because I didn't really pay attention to any of that stuff. I didn't pay attention to, like, politics. I didn't pay attention to, you know, you know civil. The, you know. Yeah, you don't know the deep roots and and fucked up shit that comes along with Right. That. So all I know is what I'm seeing on my favorite television shows. Yes. Which was Raw at the time and All in a Family. And I'm like, so I asked and, and Dad kind of explained it to me but then I asked, you know, Papa, who is our version of Archie Bunker, I said, well, what's the you know, what's the issue? And he kind of explained it to me. Although he was more upset about DX doing it than he was about Archie Bunker doing it, but that's also because Archie Bunker is his long lost twin brother. Uh, but so, like, and you know, and I'm sure Hunter had a conversation with The Rock too, and the Nation and D-Lo and shit. And, and but I, I I agree with what Clint said, and yeah. like we we really don't, you and me don't need to be commenting. You know, because it's not really our place to say anything. But it's still, like, I can see why someone would be offended by it today. And that's why I wanted to... Well, there, there's a lot of things that they did back in that But era. as a lifelong wrestling fan, too, that's why I wanted Clintus' perspective. Because he right. grew up with it, too, like us. Right, exactly. Because Clintus and I, you know, Clintus and I are only, like, a year apart in age. Mm-hmm. So, I think, because you were born in 87, weren't you? Right. All right. So, right. Clintus and I grew up, just like Eric, you know, Clintus, Eric, and I are all, like, you know, it's Eric and then Clint, Eric and then me and then Clintus. It's crazy Eric's the oldest. I always forget that. Uh, so, like, so we all grew up kind of around that time, but we all kind of have, like, different perspectives. See, me, I'm naive and don't understand a fucking thing because I really don't pay attention. I don't pay attention... Back then, I paid attention to nothing besides the wrestling. Yeah. Okay? Like, that's why I did so shitty in school, because during, like, we're in the middle of class, right? Yeah. And, like, we're supposed to be, like, starting on homework or working on a project. I'm writing down fantasy wrestling cards. <laughs> like, I did not give it, like, I only cared about what was on, what was on uh, TV yeah. as far as, like, wrestling goes. Which is one of the reasons why, like, you know, they're always just like, oh, he's doing so bad in score. He probably doesn't understand it. No, I was just lazy, and all I cared about was wrestling. Like, it had nothing to do with the fact that I may have had a learning disability. Right. Might have had, I mean, it might have had something to do with that, because some of that shit was hard. But if I really cared, I would have tried harder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very introspective stuff from you. I, I, I appreciate respect. Yeah. And, uh... And yeah, I respect but, that, Doug. Yeah, and all the perspectives here, I respect. But yeah, that was a it was an, a very interesting feud, and, and one of my favorites. I love The Rock and, and Triple H as a whole, but their sector of DX versus Nation was very cool. 
Yeah, because and again, yeah. it was a ratings draw. It was. It you was. had that's what brought fans back. Here's the thing: you had in, in this time period, you had three things that were drawing the people. All right, there's three particular feuds that were drawing the people to WWF television. Or four, if you want to include whatever Sable was doing, or whatever. But you had Austin McMahon, Undertaker, Kane, DX, and the Nation. In that summer of '98, you know, spring summer of '98, those were your three things that were drawing your ratings. And no disrespect to anybody else that was on there, but. You had to have at least one of those three things going if you were going to get if you were going to pop a high rating. Yeah, I agree. All right, D'Lo and Xbox to me was a seven point five out of ten. I'd probably go as high as an eight. It was very solid. Seven. Seven. I'll take a seven. All right. Next up, we got Farouk and Two Cold Scorpio against Justin Bradshaw, otherwise known as JBL, and Terry Funk. Eric, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of this one? I thought he was okay. Funk leaving after for six months it was interesting. I thought JBL was an asshole. It just closed the show. And the part is, a year later, Farouk and um, JBL will become a tag team. I, I did watch a little bit of uh, Booty and Lonely 99, and they were known as they became tag team. So, interesting story there. Yeah. And I thought it was okay. I feel you. And- the main takeaway I got from this whole thing, and besides, like, it's cool seeing Terry Funk kick a little ass as Terry Funk and not Chainsaw Dickhead. But uh, as Farouk, and I've met Farouk. You've met Farouk. He's yeah. a good guy. Fucking Ron Simmons is a great dude. But you got to think, in this time period, in this moment, when he's laid out on the side after fucking Bradshaw hits him with the chair and shit, He's got to be thinking, like, dude, a couple months ago, I was leading the fucking nation. Like, that piece of shit rock. Like, I was fucking killing it. They had a group for me. I was in the main event of a pay-per-view. I was killing it. Now I'm fucking third match in, and I'm teaming up with fucking Two Cold Scorpio, and I'm doing a job to Bradshaw. Yeah, and and by the way, also, too, like, back at uh, Over the Edge in your house in May. Yeah. He wrestled Rock for the Intercontinental title, Rock won. Yeah, and then it all kind of went downhill for him. The next night on Raw, he could not even qualify for King of the Ring. Yeah. He just became a B player at that point. They didn't give a fuck. They're like, oh, there's the Rocks group. We got a star here. Sorry, Farouk. See ya. Well, and also, too, what's actually funny, they put him with Scorpio. Scorpio was teaming with Terry Funk, like, from April to about June. Yeah. Farouk was teaming with Steve Blackman. Blackman blew out his knee while training for the Brawl for All. Okay? So they had to do something with Farouk. Okay? We're going to take Scorpio away from Terry Funk, even though they're kind of successful together. And we're going to put Scorpio with Farouk, because, you know, 
for some reason it just fits. And we're going to put Terry Funk with Bradshaw. And by the way, they were also teaming with Dustin Rhodes in a lot of six match. Yeah. The thing being that the common theme being theirs are all from Texas. So we're going to put the three of them together. And we're going to, so, you know, we're still going to kind of do something with them there. And we're going to put, uh, you know, Scorpio with Farouk because we can't have Blackman with Farouk because Blackman blew out his knee training for something that our dipshit, dumbass fucking head writer came up with just because he wants to see Bradshaw get his ass kicked. Yeah. So, like, nothing really made sense. Yeah. And a lot of people have disproven that theory and said that Russo's a liar about that, the Bradshaw thing. But... I'm, I'm only quoting. I'm, I'm quoting him. Yeah, that is what he said. I'm not saying you're. No, you're not lying. That is what he said. But I've heard a lot of people say that that's bullshit. Well, I believe a lot of people then. Because I don't think Bradshaw, like Bradshaw, wasn't the loudmouth that he became when he was JBL. Yet, from what I well, and, and that that's like he was still kind of a wet behind the ears, like happy to be there. I I I I've heard the same thing. I'm just saying. That, you know, because Vince Russo in his head believed that he created a brawl for all because he hated JBL. Yeah. Well, Vince Russo believes that he's the supreme ruler of wrestling. Well, yeah, exactly. Which is why, like, to be honest with you, a lot of the shit that, you know, with what I just explained, which I can't remember, like, the order of which I just explained it all. So we're not going to go back to that because we'll be here another half hour. Yeah. Uh, But, like. A lot of that actually just screams him. Yeah. I agree. All right, uh, Clintus, what would you rate this match out of 10? I'll rate it a 6. Okay. I'd go a 6 also. What about you, Eric? I'll give it a 5. Wasn't feeling this one as much. What do you think, Dougie? I don't think the wrestling – I don't think the match was that bad. I, I, I say it was a 6. Just because, like, for a throwaway match, I still think it, I still think it was decent. Okay. Well, to tell you the truth, I think the match kind of went downhill when Terry Funk announced that the whole he was retiring, uh, retiring for six months. That's when, to me, everything just went downhill. Well, yeah, yeah. You saw it doing the match. everything. Everything. It just it was just like, ugh. Yeah. There was no more chemistry between the two. Him and Mick Foley, dude. You can tell they were friends. Yeah. Because both of them fucking each retired about 92 times. Well, Funk first retired in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that whole Behind the Mat movie was about him retiring. Yeah, in 97. Yeah. And he was back by 98. Yeah, he debuted in the WWF like December 29th, I think it was, 1997. <laughs> <coughs> so his retirements don't mean much. But, uh, well, he probably, in 97, when he retired, he was working for Heyman. He probably ran out of money. Yeah, Heyman remember. was probably taking money out of Terry Funk's pension to pay him. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Mark Henry and Vader, what'd you think, Bubby? Uh, 
think it a good one. I think it was. This was an interesting feud, but it was also just like it was to get Mar- you know, it was really to get Mark Henry over because I think they were they were just about done pushing Vader at this point. Like I'm pretty sure they had no interest pushing Vader anymore. So like the whole thing because I don't even did Vader even get that much offense in? <coughs> Not much. He got a couple punches. I mean, I know he got to get the corner. Yeah. But, uh, no, that's definitely what this was. You're 100% on the money. He, all Vader was doing, like, Vader was there to put Henry over in five minutes and then call it a day. I don't even think Vader had, <laughs> I, I don't even think Vader had won a match up to that point since, like, he came back from his, from his, uh, you know, face injury in like the beginning of May. But for a five minute a little fit like for a five minute little affair with not much fanfare behind it, not much of a build, there's not much craziness, and Mark Henry's just a member of the nation. He's not really like he's the world's strongest man, but he's not like that the fucking power of pain and all that shit and house of pain and Yeah. That shit hadn't came yet. But it was a decent big man match, and Vader, you could tell Vader still knew what he was doing, as opposed to in the ring, and, like, putting on a good, between, big man matches are so interesting, and they're so much fun, because they can be the worst thing on fucking planet Earth, because you can have two big guys that are very clunky, can't work that well, and no one's bouncing off each other. Well, they are, but not in a good way. They're right. just bouncing. Uh but then you have really good, like you have your Batista versus Undertakers. You have your fucking Undertaker versus Kane. You have your uh, Big Show versus whoever could put them over. You, you had matches where these these two titans that are making each other look fantastic, putting selling well, but also looking very powerful. It can be one of the best matches in existence if you get two really good big men in their prime that can make it work. That doesn't happen a lot. But the fact that this was only five minutes wasn't much uh, push behind it, and it still like de- uh, delivered a pretty good, decent match between two big-ass motherfuckers, yeah. I think it's impressive. So I would give it a, like a, a 6.9. I'd go up to a 7, actually. I, I'll, I'll agree with you just because I, I'm always going to be a Vader fan. Okay. Me too. And even it, Mark Henry looked really fucking good here. Yeah. So that's got to say something to one of them. Either he just really looked good or Vader made him look good. Because well, like, he was still like really green at that point. He was, but he looked good. And he didn't look good a lot. He looked good, yeah. And the fact that like when he won and he takes the fucking suspenders off and he's got the tits out and he's all fucking, ah! And it's like, he looked fucking good. Yeah. So... What do you think? I would go as high as 7.5. 7.5? I thought it, the match did what it needed to do. Vader put him over as this big monster. Yeah. All right. That's uh, why I would go with 7.5. Yeah, I agree with you. Clintus, what do you think? I'll give it a 7. Yeah. YouTube, I, I enjoyed it. I like watching two big guys like actually go at it and actually has more than like I think power wrestling all together. That's what it really was. It's like a power wrestling, two big guys, two strong guys. 
who's the better man? And in this case, I think um, Mark Henry proved to be on top of that. Yeah. And to me, this is a run because I think you, I don't know if you said it to me in conversation or if you said it on the show, but it's classically known that around this, uh, around the time, well, 97-ish, 96-ish, and then kind of in 98, but the tide was starting to turn, WCW was the really great undercard with the shitty main event, and WWE was the fucking awesome, spectacle, fun, great wrestled main event in a shitty undercard with guys with stupid gimmicks and shit. This was around the time when they were developing a really good undercard. And, like, these are, like, we're saying sevens. Like, they're solid, good pay-per-view matches between guys. Like, Val Venus is a good guy to throw in on a pay-per-view and put on a good match. D'Lo Brown's a good guy to throw in. You know, you still had Farouk that could still go and is a veteran and it can help a guy like Bradshaw look good. Like, you had really good, you had the outlaws starting to brew. Like, your undercard was starting to develop very strong. Where, whereas it, people were coming for fucking Stone Cold, Rock, and, you know, eventually Triple H and Undertaker and shit and Mankind and Kane. But they, they were also staying and watching fucking, you know, X-Pac take on fucking whoever. Right. And, and that's the thing is that, like, because one of your biggest points was, okay, we have this roster. We have a two-hour show. On Monday nights, yes, we have Shotgun Saturday night, but that's pretty much just we – they only tape – I think at that point they were only taping like two matches for Shotgun. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter. And then, obviously, Sunday night he comes in. But we have, you know, three, maybe four hours of television a week. And we have all these guys. We got to find a spot. But on Raw, like, we especially have to find a spot because Raw is what everybody's going to watch. Yeah. So we got to find something. Obviously, you know, Austin, Undertaker, Mankind Kane, they're going to control a couple segments. If you're on, like, a, 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 like a 10-segment, 12-segment show, uh, your top guys are going to control at least four or five of those segments. And you have to decide who, but you have to make room for your other guys in the other, like, you know, nine segments or whatever. So, like, you, and they did a really good job of making room for everybody. Whereas the other channel was, okay, we have a 25-segment show. Hogan's like, I'll take 19 segments, brother. And Nash is like, well, you got to save seven for me. Yeah. Guys, it's already 26 segments. This is a 25-segment show. Hogan's like, shave me down to 18, brother. <laughs> and it's like, they were glory hogs. The other guys knew, WWF knew you had to get everybody over. Yes. And that's one thing to Russo and their guys' credit. And they did. Even like like random guys would get like a little push or a little like little storyline. This is the background to their character in this little universe, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Even a guy like Takamichinoku, you know what he's about from just seeing him on Raw every week. 
Right, exactly. And even though he's not a household name, not everyone fucking knows him, but you know, if you're a fan, you know what he's doing. You know what he's up to. You know that he's a part of Kai and Tai, and now he's with Funaki, and they're doing the you, – you know this shit. And th- that's what they got so good. And they were a victim of it, too. There was a lot of times where you would see Austin about four or five times yeah. a-, a-, a night or something. You'd hear that glass shatter a couple too many times. But he was the biggest draw in the fucking world. What are you going to do? You know, he's selling more merchandise than anybody ever. Like, yeah, we got to put him on screen. You can't blame him. And the NWO was working whole, like, very well, so why not put the NWO on this? I understand that, but you're right. They used the undercard well. Yeah. They used it better than the other company. But we've been too nice because this was a good show. Let's shit on something. We got the Disciples of the Apocalypse versus LOD 2000. Uh, Kenneth, I'll let you start. Uh, 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 you <laughs> yeah, because I I didn't really feel this match. I wasn't really into this whole This is more like a bathroom break paper match for me in my eyes, to tell you the truth. I'm going to be dead honest with you. I didn't really feel <laughs> it. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let me pose this question, and anybody can answer it. Okay. Because I do got something. Okay. Is was it the fact that you know nobody was really feeling this match because you kind of knew of Hawk's problems, or was it the fact that maybe LOD and DOA really didn't have that good of chemistry? I yeah I I think think the chemistry part. Yeah, I agree. I think the match sucked. I wasn't thinking about Hawk and the shit he was going through. No, and like, like I I feel bad for that man and everything he went through and the demons, and it sucks that he was kind of put on display. But like that, this match just sucked. And but in the eight ball and skull, like the Harris brothers have gone like good for them for being able to do stuff and get work, but they've never fucking struck me as anything with talent. And I know I'm armchairing over here. Who the fuck am I? But I'm just saying, like, they, they've never made me go, oh, I want to pay money to see them. So, and I'm a fan, and I pay money to see the shit, and I don't want to pay money to see them. So, they, no. they fucking suck. And Paul and Paul Ellering turning on the LOD could have been the biggest storyline ever in the fucking 80s. It could have been a huge fucking deal if done correctly. But putting him with these two idiots just because they're bald, it just seems like they're all there because they look like testicles. Like, it doesn't make, it's just stupid. And like, oh, he's in a biker gang now. Fuck the LOD. It's like, dude, you guys, you founded these guys from the beginning. Now you're going to turn on him to be the fifth match in and fucking be with these two bald idiots? Fuck you. Well, I I think it was also too, because they really didn't have a lot of heel teams left. So I think it was either, like, either. They were trying to give the Harris brothers the rub by giving them Ellery. Yeah. But it didn't work. No, it didn't. And that was. That's the thing. So, like, everybody's kind of among the everybody. Everybody, everybody uh, is kind of among the opinion that you know it was just the chemistry. Yeah. The, the chemistry was uh, like well, the the lack of right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I just think all four guys weren't in good capacity anymore. Okay. The Harris brothers were never good in the ring, and LOD were way past their fucking prime. Uh, and and I agree with that. I'm just saying is that like I know what a lot of people are going to attribute why this to why this match was shitty. 
You can't blame it all on Hawk. Everybody sucked. Yeah. It, it was a boring match. It was over before you know it. You knew it. And OD was way past the fun. Way bit. Like, no one could. I don't oh. think any of these four guys could put on a good match with anybody at the time. And I love all four guys. Well, no, I love two guys. LOD's the best fucking tag team of all time, in my opinion. And Disciples of Apocalypse can blow ass. Uh, they sucked. But fucking. And Paul Ellering had no business being with them. It was just. It was a bad, kind of shitty storyline tacked onto a stupid match. And it's the only, like, like little turd in this diamond of a pay per view. Because everything else on here is fucking solid. The next four matches, or the next three matches we're going to talk about, and there's some nice boobs in between, are very good. Every, and everything else before this was pretty good. Yeah. And, and like a solid yeah. wrestling card. But this is bullshit. I'm giving this a two out of ten. I didn't feel this at all. I, I go one and a half. I go okay. one. I mean, and I know, Since like, Clinic gave it a zero. Clinic gave it a zero? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that's the first time ever we gave him that zero. I don't know. We've done so many of these fucking... I, the I, I feel like it has... I feel like if anybody's given it a zero, it has to have been Clinic. I feel like Clinic has given something a zero before, but I can't remember what. I think I have, too. There's been some shitty wrestling in yeah. the past. But, like, this card, like, you know, I mean, we had to have found one. Yeah. It was the, and usually, yeah. sometimes, a lot of the times, we talk about one match cards when there's a little diamond in a pile of shit. So this is preferred, you know? It's like, we, we you and me got to watch a really good wrestling card last night. and we just, I don't think we were expecting. And like Clint has said, we get to have a bathroom break. You know, not everything can hit all the time. And on a show with fucking eight matches in it, it's hard to fucking, you know, have everything be really good. And, and the I fact actually that think it was the... during this match where dinner showed up, right? We yeah. had the issue with the... And we didn't pause it. That's how you know what it was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think we could all agree that this was a piece of shit. And I, LOD is the legendary tag team wrestling people to both fucking guys. But yep. this was just... It was it wasn't it, and I think Vince even knew that the match sucked because you could actually, when he was coming down the aisle to kind of give a statement as to you know if uh, Undertaker doesn't show up to the building because they had that storyline. Yeah. If he doesn't show up to the building, Austin's screwed because I'm putting Brooklyn Brawler with him. Like when Vince was coming down to the ring, he walked past LOD, and you could actually see him yelling at Hawk. Really. I didn't know. I, didn't uh, I mean, know. I don't know if like he was yelling, but he said something, and he did not look happy. It's crazy. But so uh, I, you knew something was up. Well, and you could, the way they were booked in this year in particular, you knew he was out on the Legion of Doom. You knew Vince was like, they're a thing of the fucking past, pal. Let's fucking job him. Have the outlaws shave him. Like they, they, he did, he didn't give a shit about LOD anymore. And he was like, Russo, have fun writing stupid Jerry Springer shit for him. And take advantage of this guy's real-life problems because we're pieces of shit. Well, and the only reason why, like, you know, they were revamped and called LOD 2000 is because... Sonny needed something to do. 
and she looked good when they the couple. I remember we went back and watched a couple of Raws, maybe about a year ago from like '97, and they came out and she had the thing on her tits and she looked fucking cool. And not that I mean she was very attractive. I mean Tammy said you know, I don't know if I would call her like a fine wine, but at the time she was fucking you know very attractive. But also she was a good manager and like her walking out with them there was a gravitas to it. There was a spectacle still. LOD felt special. But after they took her away and just had them do stupid jobs like this and, and like stupid just Attitude Era bullshit. Because Attitude Era had a lot of good stuff, but this is Attitude Era at its worst. Well, because also too, – They like, weren't treated fair in this they, era. They took her away because she was going to be part of the production team. Yeah, but everybody bitches about how Ric Flair was treated by Bischoff right. at WCW and how he was booked and how he wasn't treated like a legend. What about these guys? This is kind of like Vince was not treating them very well here. No, he he wasn't. And then the whole, you know, that stupid storyline, which I really don't want to get into because that's just, no, like that's it sucks. Yeah. Uh, but let's know. talk about something kind of weird but kind of good. Uh, this was fun to watch. Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock in the dungeon. Uh, with Dan Severn as the guest reverie, and they're literally in fucking Owen's mom's basement. Fucking, uh, well, Sue's former training school, yeah, which is a basement in their house with mats on it. It's the very old, so like amateur wrestlers will know, like if they watch the big, ah, we've all trained in something like that. And like, it, it's just a cool, like, man's man old school wrestling room. Like, you know, these guys became like when you hear the stories of the gritty dungeon and them fucking, it's hot and sweaty in there, like you, the old pipes and shit. Like, it all rang true with the video, but. What came across in the video, it's like, well, this was a tiny fucking room. Yeah. They were fitting all these sweaty-ass, like, fucking grown-ass 30-something-year-old dudes in this fucking room, just wrestling and grappling and fucking, and, like, this is a tiny room. But Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock are the guys that can make this look legitimate and not dumb. They were the two guys to pick for this. Because when Owen felt like making something look legitimate, he did. And Ken Shamrock had an intensity behind him to always make something look cool. So these two in this tiny room made a really good – like this is a cinematic – like when you talk about like the Boneyard and all the cinematic matches nowadays, this is kind of that. But it's also like an MMA fight and it's like an old school fight. It's a shoot – like everything about it worked for me. I thought this was really good. I told you last night that this would be UFC if Dana White had no money. Yeah. <laughs> They just held it in the basement. Yeah. Yeah, that's what... And throwing the, I the, fucking, the wooden walls and shit and throw them at the pipes and stuff. like And, hit them and Shamrock's head going through the ceiling. Yeah, it was just all very good. The submissions they used, it was all good. What do you think, Clinton? I mean, I didn't like it. Not, not, not. I think for old school, very old school and like... I'll say it's like watching a basement, a dark thing. Have one of your friends, you, you go old school, friends coming over, having a wrestling match, and tearing up your basement type of thing. But there, you got to see two adults doing it as well. It's like that type of thing. Moment. Yeah. And Severed was a good referee. I mean, he fucked up at the end, but they made it look cool, and he sold it. And 
when he got hit. And uh, everything about it I just thought was well done. And, they, like, Owen Hart with the beat-down hoodie and shit, it's just – it was like two tough guys going at it. I really liked it. I mean, I, I would real. give it – I would give it a seven. It did feel for a gimmick match. I give it an eight point five. I was really high on this one. Yeah. Like, like, and you made the comment afterwards, like when Owen won the match, like you're just like, yeah. Now Owen's going upstairs to get his mom to make him a sandwich since they're they're in her house. Yeah. Because <laughs> literally in the hard household, he's like, I'm going up and getting a glass of milk, ma. I just beat some ass. Call the call the ambulance. Can you imagine, though, like, because I have no idea how many of the Hart kids were still living in that house at the time. Because you had to think, Stu and Helen were Nazis living in that house by themselves. Yeah. And fucking, so, like, when Shamrock's head goes through that ceiling, I wonder, like, if through that ceiling, if that was somebody's bathroom. Well, and you can tell, and they did a real, you can tell they, like, pre-did the hole and spackled it and shit and made it, like, to where it was light. Like, you can tell he didn't go through the floor or nothing. They weren't fucking with the foundation of the house. You knew Hearts had to live there afterwards. Yeah. Stu was like, do not fuck with my house. Like, it was was well done. Like, his head did go through the ceiling, but it was like a drywall drywall deal to where they could spackle over it. It was more like, hey, uh, uh, don't. Don't ruin my house. Right? <laughs> yeah, but they still you might have actually done that better. <laughs> they, you, I think yours is more accurate. But they had a they had a really good. They used the environment well, and it was a good fight. What would you guys rate it, Eric and Quinn? I'll give I'll it an eight. Eight. I thought it was well done. Uh, let, let's go to one of the marquee matches then. Rock and Triple H. They go to a time limit draw, one fall apiece, and the two out of three falls match for the Intercontinental title. I thought, like I said earlier, this was, I kind of hit it on the nail earlier for my opinion on this, to where uh, I just thought it was a well-told story, and it's a perfect prelude. You can watch this rivalry, watch this, watch some of the stuff on Raw, and then watch the latter match and be satisfied with the story, like if you're reading a comic or watching a TV show. It's cool to watch the story unfold, and this match had a lot to do. And there's good wrestling in between. These guys had amazing chemistry. Everybody knows this. I'm very high on this one, too. I give it a 9 out of 10. I mean, I'm going to agree with you with the 9 out of 10. I mean, yes, a lot of people are not going to be happy with the finish, but when you have to have a story that continues. Yeah, and the fact that the story ends with the ladder match and stuff, and he, you, this all makes sense. And him going for the, and it just builds up anticipation, the fact that he should have beat him, and and if he had a couple more seconds, you know. That shit all works. Right. It's, It's funny that like yeah and then like this constant interference from the nation but then uh uh you know DX kinda comes out and makes sure that that's kinda sticks up for her man. Yeah. After fucking up a few times by distracting the referees so the nation could interfere. Yeah. With this bitch. Uh but then finally like when the referee's down she realizes, Oh yeah, I can go hit rock in the balls now. He loved hitting him. And he sold that dick shot so well oh, every time. Every fucking time. The dick shots and stunners rock and fucking pull off with perfection. But uh, what did you think, Eric? I thought the match was solid. I, I mean, time limit draw was 
pretty cool. Um, it, it would send the story, uh, obviously. Um, these two always had a good chemistry, I thought. I thought that Rock was probably Triple H's best rivalry. To be honest, I know a lot of people say HBK or um, Austin, but I think Rock and, Rock and Triple H, they just had that chemistry. They, they, the rivalry was even this, probably one of the longest rivalries in history. They even went into uh, going back to it a couple of years ago. Obviously, Rock didn't want to um, come back. He couldn't come back. Man. So, this match, to me, I will say it was a good... But the only thing I don't like about it is, about this whole... This match was how much they emphasized on it. It had to be a tie on it. That's how you know it was like something funny was actually going to go on with it. This whole time limit draw. Well, why you have to focus so much on it? Like the commentary wise, has to focus so much on it. It blows. It blows my mind. It just totally just sets you up knowing that because any other time, two out of three falls, it's going to be a two out of three falls. No time limit. No nothing. But with something fishy like that on the mount, kind of ruins it, the outcome of it. Because you know something just going fishy going to happen or you get something like this, a time limit draw on a pay-per-view. So, yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. It's definitely a good point. All right, did everybody rate it? or? Yeah, I did. I'll give it an eight. See, I'll give it a six. Okay. All right, now comes the, as we're getting towards the end here, now comes the fun part of the show. Where, where in today's day and age where, you know, you get canceled for, you know, say you can't say anything, you know, misogynistic or, you know, you you want to be very. Well, why do I have a show? I know. But you 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 got to be very delicate, especially when talking about females. Then why do I have a show? I know, but the, this is the part where four single uh, unless Clinton or Eric are, are wiped up, then I apologize. But four single dudes get to talk about Sable having black imprints on her titties. <laughs> and uh, am I the only guy What's here that thinks that Jacqueline was hotter? You know what? Now that we think of Jacqueline was very attractive. That red outfit was nice. Sable didn't even try. She just put some paint over her tips. And well, and here's the thing. It's kind of hard for me to see Jacqueline as a, a you know, like attractive, drop-dead, gorgeous woman because she was so fucking dangerous. Yeah. She was such a badass. She had a nip slip on this. Yeah. <clears throat> she was such a badass that like if you go up to her, and slap her on the ass and say, oh, yeah, get it shaking, girl. She'll rip your arm off and shove it up your ass. (laughs) So, like, it's kind of hard for me to say how attractive she is because she scares the shit out of me. (laughs) It's hard to have the hats for a woman that makes you pee or something. I thought she was very attractive. She was getting a lot of booze from the audience, and I understand she's the bad guy, but, you know, I thought she kind of looked prettier than Sam. 
And Sable was like all like, you know, fr- the free the tits. She was like, Mr. McMahon, which is funny because she's the one that files like for sexual harassment later and shit. And that makes it all weird because this is kind of written out for her and stuff. And But she's out there. She's like, Mr. McMahon doesn't want me to show my boobs. And it's like, bullshit. And then she's like, so I'm showing them. And then she just fucking rips the top off and good Lord almighty. Uh, JR almost had a stroke. So did the king. Oh, it happened today. The king was oh hard the whole segment. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, dude, when she was walking away at the end and he's staring at her every inch and tripping over himself and shit, it's like, dude, get it together. You're hosting this thing. <laughs> he could not keep his eyes off the, the puppies. But, I mean, it was a fun little distraction, but it's also, like, shit that doesn't age very well. That's, like, you know, thank God for the women's revolution and the knockouts in TNA and everything. But, you know, this is when women were just objectified. And, but they were very attractive women. Yeah. You know, if Brock Lesnar walks in. You want to be able to do that today because Brock Lesnar wouldn't let her do that. Right. If Brock Lesnar walks into somebody's house and that person is watching this on pay-per-view. They're dead. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, he'll be like, why are you looking at my wife? So he'll look at him like pork chops. <laughs> and then he'll eat them. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, eat them, poop them out, and then that person will look like Heyman. All right, main event oh, time. Oh, God. Main event time, because we're not going to rate a bikini contest. Uh, <laughs> main event I give, it, I give it a 90 out of 10. <laughs> give it a 69 out of 10. <laughs> We have Stone Cold and The Undertaker versus Kane and Mankind, who are the WWF Tag Team Champions, and this is for the straps. The whole night, Kevin Kelly's talking about Undertaker not being in the building, and everyone's worried, is Undertaker going to show up? Steve Austin's in the promo saying, I don't know if he's going to show up. I'm kicking ass with or without him. And it's very, that's the storyline. Undertaker shows up. They kick ass together. Kane and Mankind are a very underrated and good tag team. Paul Bear's going, oh, yes! And it's a very fun spectacle main event. I would agree. Paul Bear is, did that. Thank you. I get, I get compliments on my Paul Bear a lot. But uh, I, I do the face well, too. we got to put video on this thing. Uh, but me and uh, but Rock and Triple H is my match of the card, but this is a very close second. And I was getting kind of tired when we were watching this, but it was a good match, and Stoke Cold and The Undertaker really put their shit in, and Kane and Mankind made them look good. This is a, a clear 8 out of 10 for me. I really like this one. And the funny thing about this is that, like, so Undertaker and Austin were already penciled in as the main event for SummerSlam. Yeah. Okay. So, like, this was Vince McMahon's just like, all right, you're not going to be able to get along. Austin's going to get his ass kicked. And you, but you also had to decide. You also had to, you know, wonder: Are under is Undertaker in collusion with Kane? Because remember, he cost Austin the WWF title in the ring in the first blood match. Because the stipulation there, as stupid as it was, was if Kane lost, he was going to set himself on fire. Now Undertaker, who technically had already set Kane on fire in that unforgiven Inferno match. It's just like, yeah, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Anybody's going to set him on fire, it's going to be me. <laughs> so, you know, he prevents Austin from winning and all that. And it's just, 
you you knew that something was coming, but like they had to prolong it somehow. Yeah, hundred percent. But it was a good tag team win for the titles. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Clintus, what was your take? I liked it. Alright, so I, I do kind of find, find it interesting. We also, you, can't, you have to go back to like the middle of the pay-per-view where they come out yeah, and they're second-guessing the Undertaker not no show in a pay-per-view. You can first get a, a segment with the Outlaws and me, um, Underta- um, Kane and Mankind, Outlaws making a challenge for tomorrow next night on Raw for their titles. Thinking that Katie Mankind is going to overlook the no show of the Undertaker. <laughs> then you yeah. have Vincent Man, the, fo- <laughs> the following segment, saying if Taker doesn't show up, Austin's tag team partner is going to be the Brooklyn Brawler. I mean, how can we skip over this? These, these two things, and they give him a standing ovation for him, meaning McMahon and his dooges. But the match itself, knowing the Taker comes in, it's it was always about like, is Taker really going to cooperate with Sting? Is it going to wind up being a three-on-one beatdown? Is also going to ever make it to SummerSlam to make be part uh, to defend the title against Taker at at SummerSlam? It was more like a a bridge point. Yeah, I agree. For the match itself, for the match itself, it was good. I mean, watching Taker, um, Austin, and take become a double champion, winning both the tag titles and uh, and the WWE champion. But then again, once Taker gets a win, he walks out with both title belts. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't even look back at Austin. He just walks. Yep. All right. It's very intriguing because you don't know what Undertaker is going to do with those right. titles and Austin's pit. I just continue the story between the two. Are they going to still... Is Austin going to try to get the belt? part of the belt. Yeah, he's like, you shut up a bitch! Give me that one. Give me one of those... What did stuff. happen in that fight? Uh, Doug, I forgot. Huh? I was asking what happened the next night. What happened? What? The next night on Raw. What's the aftermath? Uh, they defended against the Outlaws. Okay. Does he give them a belt? Yeah. Okay. All right. What was your rating for this one, Eric? I don't know. I think Clint gave. I'll give it an eight point five. Okay. I'm giving it. I'm going to agree mind. with Eric. Lord help me. Yeah, I love it. Hey. Yeah. I'll give it an eight. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. Let's give our final thoughts on the pay-per-view as a whole. I, I'm I'm picking the show for next week. Okay. Unless we already have something planned. I was thinking, but uh, if you've got something, okay, do it. Uh, final thoughts on the pay-per-view. I'll go first. I thought this was maybe the most underrated pay-per-view I've ever seen. 
Uh, nobody talks about it, but it was very good. Everything, even though it might not be the most high stakes pay per view of all time, it continues a bunch of important stories going on and one of the best periods of WWF. So I recommend this to anybody, and I would give the whole thing an, an 8.5. I think it's just there for a nine. It's not quite there. It's really good. But, uh, and, uh, and like every match except for the one tag match was very solid. And there was a couple that really stood out. But yeah, I loved it. But I give it 8.5. Go ahead, Eric. Um, for for a B level type pay per view, I thought, as you said, it, the, the pay per view was solid. I I didn't find myself bored at all. Besides the outlaw, besides the LOD match, other than that, it was a solid pay per view. I would give it an eight point five out of ten. I I enjoyed it from top to bottom. Besides that match. All right, Doug. All right, so this was one of those pay-per-views where I'm sure a lot of people weren't expecting anything, uh, but you got a lot more than what you were expecting. Uh, personally, I thought there was some really good wrestling on this show, and I thought that storylines were advanced really well. Yeah. So I'm going I'm going to give it a nine. Oh, yeah. All right, close this out, Clintus. Hell yeah. All right, I'll, also, I'll give it a seven. I mean... It was a good main event. You had the great um, thing with the the bikini contest. Young me would have been like, that's like the best part of the match. Now you're older, it's just like, uh, well, yeah, anything. <laughs> um, the line was a dungeon match. It's too hard dungeon. I have to say I enjoyed that too. Cassettements with um the, the New Age Outlaws brawling with Kanan and Mankind. That was also awesome. Val Venus, D'Lo Brown, the Nation actually going undefeated on this pay-per-view. So, yeah, I, I will give it a seven. All right. Very good. That was fully loaded in 1998, ladies and gentlemen. Check it out. Uh Make sure to check out everything on the everything on Scripted Network. Uh, tomorrow, I will be coming out with the creative. More news to come. Uh, and this is going to be a very fun idea. And anybody, check it out if you're interested. Uh, me and Mindy are going to be doing the Stabcast on uh, Sunday. And we're going to be talking about Reinfeld or Renfield or the Nicholas Cage Dracula flick. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And next week on the Unscripted Wrestling Podcast, we talked about our least favorite matches, right? Yeah. This time, we're going to really open the gates and talk a little shit. And as much as we hate to, you know, be negative on this show, we're going to talk about our top 10 least favorite wrestlers of all time. Our top 10 least favorite? Yes. Okay. Our least favorite wrestlers, anybody of all time in the business. It doesn't have to be. I didn't want to call it worse because I don't want it to be like. Well, we we have done a worse before, but it wasn't like our least favorite. How long ago was it? Like three, three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we're fine. Our top 10 least favorite wrestlers of all time. We're going to talk a little shit. We're going to talk about the people we don't like, and uh, it's going to be a good time. So uh, check that out next week, and everybody have a great weekend. Have a good weekend, guys. See you guys tomorrow.
Later. See you tomorrow.